Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Atusa. Hi, Atusa, compulsive overeater. Hi, I'm a food addict, and thank you so much for asking me to speak um, unexpectedly. And um, should my sponsor walk in, she's not going to be thrilled that I'm speaking in jeans. Um, <laughs> but it was last minute, so you can tell her that. Um, we, you know, when when I'm generally asked to speak, there's usually makeup and and the clothes look a little better because it's a program of, of attraction rather than promotion. And um, I was walking out of the house and my daughter goes, you look like a college student during finals. <laughs> going to a meeting. Um, anyway, so, take a deep breath. Oh, I love this program. Welcome to our newcomers. Welcome, welcome. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to walk through these doors. Um, the program has an unsexy name, you know. Um, there's nothing sexy about being an overeater. Like, it's just a, a very dark, self-hating, self-deprecating, um, lonely disease. And just, you know, welcome to our rooms. I, I really invite you to stay. Um, also, congratulations to our chip takers. It's a big deal. Those chips are a big, big deal. Especially in the first year, I always think, um, you know, babies grow so much in that first year from when they're born, and then after a year, they kind of start standing and walking, and I felt the same way in program, like 30, 60, 96 months, 90 days, and it's like, oh my God, I feel like a new person, you know, and then they told me i got to keep doing it, <laughs> you know, there's no more chips, but just keep doing it, so anyway, I am a compulsive overeater to the core. Um, left to my own devices, I will eat all day, all day. And I don't eat pretty, you know. There's nothing pretty about the way I'm programmed to eat. Um, I joke I can, I can eat any trucker under the table. Um, I like big food, fatty food, carby food, um, like cheap truck stop food. It doesn't have to be gourmet. Actually, gourmet food kind of ticks me off because it's small. Um, you know, <laughs> like when there's more decoration on the plate than there is food, you know, it's not really my place. Um, and, and, and that's mostly how I ate. And I ate like that um, because food became my friend. You know, food became, didn't talk back. It was consistent, it was always there, and it coated the nerves. It just coated my nerves, and my nerves needed coating. You know, my nerves still need coating, um, because I'm a human being living on this universe. And someone once said in program, um, the, the food turned the lights a little dimmer and the sounds a little softer, you know. And um, that, that's really, I was like, wow, that's so true, because that's really what the food still does for me, you know, even abstinently. Um, I was born in the Middle East, in Iran, and um, I was there until I was five, and then there was a revolution, so we left, and we came out um, to England, where my uncle was, 
And we waited in England basically until we got a green card. And I was like the only Middle Eastern for like miles around. You know, like people would kind of be like, oh, you know, different color person, <laughs> you know. Um, and for many years, I just, I felt like I didn't fit in. You know, I didn't fit in. Um, my parents were kind of, you know, um, immigrants. They dressed differently. They talked differently. Um, I, I went to school and I learned English and I started to speak English better than they did. And I had an uncle who lived in England for like 20, 30 years and he was completely assimilated. I mean, he changed his name. He'd become very English. Um, they had three sons that all went to these like boarding schools and and I just felt like we were the less than cousins, you know, that kind of lived down the street and that they were kind of embarrassed about us. Um, and I was, I was slender. You know, I was, I was a slender kid looking back at pictures. Um, I was slender up until I hit about eight or nine. Um, my history includes just severe, severe child abuse, but, you know, I don't really need to get into the details. We share in a general way our experience, strength, and hope. Um, but it, that is part of my story, as it is many of ours, as it is many of ours. Um, and so at around eight or nine, when my body began to change, I started turning to the food. And it was so innocent. It was like we'd go on play dates, and it would be like the mother would be like, dinner time. And I'd be like, let's go, it's dinner time. And the kid would be like, well, let's keep playing. I'm like, well, no, it's dinner time. <laughs> like, let's go, you know. Um, being really excited about the candy shop. Um, my mother, you know, Persian food, we're like Italians. We cook in big pots, you know, rices and stews. And it was like the never-ending pot for me. You know, we never ate one portion. And when I went to a friend's house and there were five people and there were five pieces of chicken, I'd get a panic attack, you know. Um, and I still do. Like, if we go somewhere and someone portions out my plate and hands it to me, I'm like, like, what if? Like, what if I die, you know? Uh, and that's truly, truly, I'm not trying to be funny. It's, it's a real fear for me, just that, like, not having enough, never having enough, never having enough, never having enough food, love, money, uh, praise, whatever it is. It's that, like, bottomless, bottomless pit. But anyway, um, so I started eating, and I started to get kind of chunky. Now, I was never an obese kid, but I got kind of chunky. And I remember my mom was always on a diet, God bless her. Um, she always did like high, high protein, chicken breast and lettuce. Um, and then she'd gain 20 and then she'd lose 40 and then she'd gain 30 and then she'd lose 60. And, and that was just the way my mom was, God bless her. And she was severely depressed, you know, leaving a country and her family and moving to countryside England where it rains, you know, 345 days out of the year. <laughs> um, and so I got chunky, and I started, I remember I went on my first diet when I was about nine, and I had heard fruit was healthy, so I came home and I ate literally like eight or nine pieces of fruit, like an apple, a banana, an orange, and I was like, that's my dinner, I'm going to go run, you know, and I started running around our house, you know, I was nine, and my boundaries weren't like down the street, you know, around the house, um, and it just started with that. You know, and people would comment on my body, which, which like, these days I have three girls. Um, like, no one's allowed to, you know, comment on my daughter's bodies. 
you know, I don't comment on it. No one's allowed to comment on it, for the most part, as much as I as much as I can. Um, but people would be like, "Oh, Tusa's getting kind of chunky, huh?" You know, or um, "Oh, that haircut you gave her, Flora, just makes her look fatter." Not a good idea, you know. So it was always like I felt like my body was always up for comment, and I was going through this horrendous abuse that I was keeping secret, of course, like we do. Um, and then I got my tonsils taken out, and I was like, this is it. Like, I can't swallow. I'm going to lose a ton of weight. Um, got my tonsils taken out. In those days, you stayed in the hospital for five days. It wasn't like an outpatient procedure. Five-day procedure, came home, couldn't swallow, and I remember just shoving the food down, shoving the food down, shoving the food down. And it burned, and it stung, and I still shoved it down. And then, of course, my mother's friends would be like, People who get their tonsils out usually lose weight. What's going on with the Tusa? She's gaining weight, you know. Um, so it was just constant. And so that critical voice about my body um, always stayed, always stayed. And looking at my, at my figure in the mirror as a kid, just hating myself. And then, of course, for that level of self-hatred, the only thing that makes us feel better is the food. You know, like, it's like... It's a very strange, um, strange, strange combination. Um, I wish I had my big book here, but I don't. It's okay. Um, so, got my tonsils taken out. Turned 13. You know, went through puberty, the whole deal. Um, I walked home one day from school, got off the bus, and my mom was dead on the floor. And um, my seven-year-old brother was home. Apparently, she hadn't felt well enough to take him to school. And I'm like, what's going on? You know, like, I'd never seen a dead person before. And I called my uncle, and he he was down the street, and he came, and and they took her away. You know, dropped dead, dead. You know, she was still holding something in her hand. So there was no, like, oh, I don't feel good. Let's call 911. She had just dropped dead um, at the age of 38. Um, and she had died as a result of the medicine she was taking to lose weight. So in those days, they injected women with, like, pregnant cow urine shots to lose weight, and one of the side effects was heart attacks. Um, And so, you know, my mom had it. So I don't have to look far to see where this disease can take me. It's very, very close to home, very close to home. Anyway, so I was 13, um, motherless, father was a jerk, um, and we're like, let's move to the States. You know, all the families in the States, he said, I can't raise these kids on my own. Let's take them and be near their mother, where their mother's family is. My grandparents were here, my uncles and aunts were here. Um, And we moved in the eighth grade. Okay, like, if there's a horrible time in a child's time to move, like, you know, compulsive overeater, mother just died, let's move to Beverly Hills. Okay. Um, so I moved to Beverly Hills because that's where the family was. I went to a Beverly Hills school, um, second semester of eighth grade. Like, I might as well have been an alien, like, dropped in the middle of the school. The only good thing was that there were a ton of Persians. And I'm like, like, how did this happen, <laughs> you know? Um, and my farties, farties, farty. My farties started to get better, um, and I started to kind of find my cultural people, and that was the only good thing about it. The bad thing about it was that now I was in a house with an abusive father and a little brother to raise. So guess what? You know, I ate, and I ate, and I ate. And I tried to diet, and I ate. And I recently made amends. 
not recently, when I first came into program, to my aunt, my mother's sister, who I adore, who um, decided to pay for me to go to an outside diet program. And she'd give me the money. She'd like, here, sweetie, here's the money. Go to the meeting. I'll pick you up in an hour. And I'd be like, all right. So I'd take the money. I'd go down to the, to the convenience store. I'd come back. I'd sit in the corner alley. I'd binge. And then I'd go back, and she'd pick me up. And this happened for ages, and she's like, Sweetie, I don't know why this program's not working for you, you know. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I paid her back. I paid her back for all those meetings that she had paid for. Um, so I went to high school, and I got my, still eating, got my driver's license, and I turned 16, and I thought that, like, God had given me the world because I now had a car. And I could drive to places to eat. So not only could I drive to places to eat, but I could go to the gym and work it off. So pretty soon I was binging, 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 um, going to the gym. And then I discovered anorexia. So I was like, wow, this is really cool. Like, if I don't eat all day and I go to the gym and I just have dinner and two Diet Cokes during the day, then everything will be great. And that's what I did. And I did anorexia. I was a horrible anorexic. It only lasted for about six months, maybe a little less. And I dropped a ton of weight, you know, a ton of weight. I dropped like 20, 30 pounds. And my friends were like, what happened to Atusa? Like, you know, started getting attention from the guys. Um, God, Atusa got really hot. Like, what happened? You know, and of course, started eating again. I gained it all back. So um, I have a brief, brief relationship with anorexia. Um, anyway, went to college, and I got married young, had my first kid young. I was 19 when I had her. Um, like, my kids were partying in Cabo, and I was like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, like, sitting on the couch with a, with a newborn, you know. They're like, how's the baby? I'm like, fine, you know. Um, it was my decision to have a kid. It wasn't like it happened. I was like, I'm getting married, having a kid. Had this kid, and my life changed again. And it was like, all right, history of abuse, now married with responsibilities of a husband and household, and a kid. And so I, I ate. You know, I ate. And my husband was like, who is this woman? You know, like we went on our honeymoon, and one night our mini bar bill was more than the night, the cost of the night for the room. Um, and we weren't staying at, like, Motel 6, you know. Um, and there was no booze. There was, like, we weren't drinking those little things of vodka. It was just food. It was, like, chocolate-covered macadamia nuts, you know. Um, and he's like, who is this woman? Like, we'd eat, and then I'd be like, let's go out for dessert, you know. And we'd go out for dessert, and then, you know, we're on our honeymoon, so he wants to get intimate, and I'm stoned, like, stoned, you know, falling asleep, and, and he's like, okay, this is a little odd, you know. And so he's like, well, sweetie, do you want to, like, go to the gym? Do you want to? I mean, he was so sweet. He was trying to be the Al-Anon, you know. Um, and I was eating, and it finally got to the point where he said to me, he, he truly thought I was having an affair. Um, and he sat me down, and he said, look, you know, if there's another guy, if you don't want to be in this marriage anymore, then, then walk. You know, it's fine. Just tell me and walk, because I cannot live um, in a marriage where you're not here for, you know. Um, I wasn't having an affair. I was not, I wasn't having an affair. There wasn't another guy. There was the food, 
you know, there was the food. I mean, I got intimate with the food more than I got intimate with my husband, for sure. Um, And so, again, it was revealed to me that the food takes me out of my life, you know. Um, When I'm eating, I can't show up. I can't show up for you. I can't look you in the eyes. Don't really care if your mother just died. You know, that's fine. I'll stop at the bakery on my way home. Um, And it takes me out of my life to the point that my husband truly thought I was having an affair. Um, So I was... Now my daughter started preschool, and one day I was having lunch with my friend Rose, and I said, Rose, I can't stop eating. And I said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I can't stop eating. You know that candy drive that we just had? Because you know how the kids sell those $1 chocolate bars? I was the chairperson for that, and by the end of the drive, I owed the school something like $43 in candy bars, none of which I had sold, by the way, Um, all of which had gone inside of me, and I said, I think I ate 16 candy bars last night. She said, you ate 16 of those things? I'm like, yeah. She goes, well, didn't you feel sick? No. Okay. What did I feel? I felt remorse. I felt self-hatred. I felt suicidal. I felt like I was completely worthless. Um, and she said, oh, honey, you need to go to OA. I'm like, where? It's a 12-step program. You know, she totally 12-stepped me. And I went to my first meeting because she nagged at me for three weeks. Um, and I walked into Harvard, Harvard Street, 6.30 meeting on a Thursday night. And I was now, what, 22, 23? Yeah, about 22, 23. And binging. And I heard my story. I walked into a room full of people who just spoke this language, and they knew what it was like to binge, and they knew what it was like to starve, and they knew what it was like to hate yourself the next day. And they knew what Monday morning was, and they knew what January 1st will come and I'll change, or my nephew's bar mitzvah and I'll change, or you you guys understood that, you know. And I sat in the rooms for a year, you know, doing absolutely nothing other than eating three meals a day didn't have a sponsor, didn't own any literature, nothing. All I did was that I called this woman, um, and I showed up for a year. And then I got pregnant with my second daughter and went out, went out, you know, pregnant and binging, and it was ugly. Uh, Gave birth and found myself now with two kids to take care of in front of an open pantry, you know, kid on one arm, hand in the pantry, and I'm like, ugh. And I, and I always say, you know, OA is like the mafia. Um, once you come in, you know too much to leave. You know, welcome to the newcomers. <laughs> um, you just, you know, you know too much. You really know too much. And I was like, ugh, there's a better way. I know there's another way to do this. And I called Jeannie. Uh, by now, I was wearing like a size probably 16, 18, um, you know, breastfeeding, and the shirt was dirty, and the kid was crying, and I hated you, and I mean, it was just ugly. I'm not a pretty compulsive overeater, you know, I'm not like, um, there's just nothing nice about it. It's, it's self-abuse, really, it's just, it's just ugly. Anyway, so I called Jeannie, and I had Jeannie's number, and I was scared to death of Jeannie, I don't know if you guys know Jeannie, and I was like, Jeannie, Um, I'm going to relapse. I said, I'm dying. I can't stop eating. I just had this baby. And she goes, and I said, can you sponsor me? And she said, well, sweetie, I'm full, but let me give you so-and-so's number. So she gave me this woman's number, and I called her, and like four times that afternoon. 
and left messages, and she called me back. She's like, hey, what's going on? I said, can you sponsor me? You know, I heard you have four and a half years of abstinence. I was just baffled at how anyone could have four and a half years of abstinence. Like, that was just, like, way over my... Like, you haven't binged for four and a half years? Like, how did you, how did you do that? Um, and I met up with her, and we had a cup of coffee, and um, she said, yeah, you know, I'll sponsor you. I need you to go to a minimum of three meetings a week. I need you to call me every day. Um, we'll start go, getting going on our steps. She said, I'm not your mother, I'm not your therapist, I'm not going to loan you money. Um, I will walk you through these steps and I will share my experience, strength, and hope with you. I said, and, and I'm not really your friend either, so we're not going to go like to the movies together. You know? And I was like, fine, Look, I don't want you to go to the movies with me. You know, just teach me how to not eat. <laughs> you know? um, and I watched this woman, and she told me, one day I asked her, I'm like, Heidi, sorry, Heidi, um, I was like, what, what's breakfast? I asked her, I'm like, what's breakfast? And she's like, well, sweetie, breakfast? Like, sometimes I'll have a bowl of cereal or an egg or a piece of toast or a cup of coffee or some orange juice with it, and and that's breakfast. And she taught me how to eat breakfast. Um, Because for me, breakfast was either leave the house, be starving by noon, and stop for something really bad, um, or go to the bakery and get breakfast, which breakfast is not a good place, you know, to get the bakery is not a good place to get breakfast. Um, or eat last night's Chinese food for breakfast because it was there, you know. And she said to me, she goes, to said, breakfast food for breakfast, lunch food for lunch, dinner food for dinner. It's like, oh, okay. So not Chinese food for breakfast, two boxes of cereal for dinner. And she's like, no, sweetie, no. Okay. So we got going, and the weight started to come off. And I don't know how it came off, but it started to come off. I got, like, 30 pounds down, and and I was calling her, and we were working it and did my 12 steps and finished the 12 steps and sat in the car and cried and and went off to England to see my old place of, you know, where I grew up and visit my mom at the cemetery. and, and, And I was abstinent, and I had that glow, okay? When people are abstinent, there's a glow about them. Um... And it's just clarity that I don't see in people who are using, whatever it is that that someone is using. And she sponsored me for nine years. You know, she sponsored me for nine years and got married and moved to Ohio. Um, And I I just adore this woman. She taught me so much, so much. And she listened to me and she... She gave me direction, and I followed her direction. There was never negotiating with her. You know, if she said go to an extra meeting this week, there wasn't like, but, 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 but. I was like, all right, you're in a normal body size. You're doing this. I will follow your lead. Okay. And then she'd be like, call me back. Tell me, tell me how it was. You know, and, and that's what I did. And she was never judgmental. We did a fourth step together, um, made a searching and fearless inventory. Uh, my inventory was long, and it was painful. And I think it not only made me sick for a couple of weeks, it made her sick for a couple of weeks. You know, it was just so much stuff. Um, and she would call me, you know, and she'd be like, how are you doing? That was really hard stuff we just covered. And it, yet she was not my therapist, you know, and, and outside help was part of the picture for many years. Um, and so she moved, and she moved, and my life got big. Like my life got really big. Um, had my third baby, um, started a career, um, which, you know, by God's grace is just blooming, and, and life got big, and program got small. Um, 
I started not having time for meetings. Like there was just so much to do and so little time and not sponsoring as much, not going to as many meetings, not picking up my big book. Um, got to the point where even in the in the book that goes around, the We Care book, I wasn't even putting my cell phone number. I was putting my home phone number because I knew you'd never catch me at home, you know, and I just didn't want to be bothered. Um, and guess what? The pants got tight. pants got really, really tight. And pretty soon the pants didn't fit. And I was gaining weight abstinently sitting in these rooms, you know. Um, once a week I'd get to a meeting, twice a week I'd get to one, sometimes I'd return a call, um, and I saw the disease coming back. I just saw it coming back, and I saw it in my behavior, I saw it in my relationships, I saw it in my food choices, and food is but a symptom. You know, food is but a symptom. Like, my body size getting bigger, my food getting bigger is a symptom of something way bigger going on, you know? And I lost that connection to God because um, I was doing it my way. I was self-will and run riot. And I called my sponsor and I said, I love you, I adore you, but I need a sponsor who I can see, you know, like here on the west side. And I got a new sponsor, you know. And this sponsor said to me, you know, how many meetings are you getting to? Well, one or two. She said, okay, up it to four. And I was like, <laughs> you know, Four? And she's like, yeah, four. I'm like, like three to four? She's like, no, four. <laughs> I'm like, okay, shit. And she's like, look at you, so the program doesn't have to be convenient. You know, it's not about convenience. Um, it's like, you know, you're a diabetic. It's like, oh, I think it's convenient to take my insulin now, or I think it's convenient to check my blood sugar now. You know, you have a disease. You have to, wor- you have to work this program. And she said, I don't know how to get this program other than by sitting in a chair in a room with other addicts, because that's where the program is. It's not a self-help program, you guys, you know. It's not a do the work at home and send in a test over the Internet. Like, I have to be here hearing your experience, strength, and hope so that I go home and I implement that in my life. Um, Because you read the big book? Not really. I want you to read it every day. Okay. Um... And I started to do what she said, you know, and and she is an abstaining woman, she's sober, and I just wanted what she had. On a daily basis, I want what she has. Um, And so, in the past, I don't know, four months or so, I think I started working with with her in May, Um, the jeans are fitting, I'm quite excited. Um, I'm still, you know, my weight is still up. Um, I don't know why I thought that if I would stop at the coffee bean in the afternoon and order a large latte, with an apple fritter, um, that was a good snack. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere in my mind, like that was just a really good snack. And I remember one night, you know, one afternoon on the way to pick up one of my daughters from camp, I was parked outside the coffee bean, and I was like a junkie. Like I was shaking. I just needed that stuff in my body, you know. And it wasn't, you know, guys, I come from like a dozen bagels, 14 Mrs. Fields cookies, a whole cake. You know, I'm talking about one, I think it was one chocolate, I apologize to talk about food. It was one chocolate croissant, and it was one sugary crap drink for $5 that they sell for you. Um, and I remember sitting in the car, and of course I wasn't going to eat it there, because it was just too embarrassing, like fat girl eating the pastry. Um, sitting in the car on Wilshire, and like kneading it, and I was just eating it, and it was like, 
you know, like the junkie that sits in the in the alley and wraps a little whatever, the rubber bands and sticks in the drug. That's how it felt. And it was like it went down and I went, <sighs> okay, like my nerves are coated. Now I can do the second part of the day. And all of a sudden I was like, like that's using. You know, I don't care if it's one drink and one whatever it is, you know. Um, and the road gets narrower. And I asked my first sponsor, at, you know, when I, I was new, I said, someone at a meeting today said the road gets narrower. What does that mean? And she goes, well, see, let's wait and see. You know. <laughs> and I just, I heard her voice because it didn't have to be a dozen donuts anymore. It didn't have to be a dozen croissants anymore. This was one, you guys. And it was coating the nerves. Um, and so I called her. I called my sponsor and she was like, your food is just too cakey. Like, there's, like, cake and pastry and sugar and stuff going on. Like, what's up with that? Like, can you, can you not do that today? And I was like, well, okay. And it was hard. It was really, really hard. And I'd kind of do it and not do it and do it and not do it. Um, and it's been a few weeks now of, of none of that stuff. And um, that stuff makes a difference. Like, in my teens and my 20s, I could pull it off. But in my 30s, man, like, it doesn't come off the way it used to. Um, and it's, it's just tougher. Anyway, uh, in the morning, oh, and then she says, do you get on your knees? And I was like, what? She's like, do you get on your knees in the morning? And I was like, well, no. Um, well, well, why don't you do that? You know, she said, every morning, get on your knees. And in the evening, get on your knees before you go to bed. In the morning, ask God to help keep you know, help you to keep your abstinence, and in the evening, ask God for keeping you abstinent that day, because it's not you who's doing it. I was like, all right. So it was new. Like, I've never prayed on my knees before, you know, and there was something so humbling, humbling about getting on my knees and asking a higher power to help me and feeling enveloped by God's grace and love, um, and in the evening, doing it, doing it again. Um, it's very new for me, and it's very powerful, so, so I urge you to do that. Um, I just finished my first step. I'm on my second step, um, second time around. I just went to Ohio to visit my old sponsor. Um, went to my first AA meeting. You know, I'm coming up on 10 years of abstinence, never been to an AA meeting. Um, and I was like, like 40 miles away from Akron. Uh, which was just amazing. Um, went to an OA meeting, to an AA meeting with people who were recovering. You know, um, they weren't wealthy. They weren't driving Bentleys. They didn't have initials after their name. Many of them didn't have more than like an eighth grade education. They were mostly farmers and farmers' wives. Um, and yet, you don't need initials after your name to get this program. You know, um, it's it's it's. The big book works for everyone. Like the disease affects everyone, and the recovery helps everyone. Because um, the disease doesn't know, you know, I'm this and you're that, or you know, I'm white and you're black. And I mean, the disease just doesn't know that. And so, I was just so humbled to see these people recovering. And on the way home, I was um, sitting next to a guy, and we kind of got to talking. And I noticed that, like, the, the stewardess gave him a soda, and then. He poured the soda, and then he gave the rest back. And I was like, kind of looked at him like, oh, it's a little interesting. I've never seen someone, like, give the rest of the soda back. But anyway, so we started talking, and, and he lived in Florida. And I said, well, what are you doing in L.A.? He goes, I'm just hanging out with some friends and whatever. And we got to talking more and more. Turns out he was actually celebrating his first AA birthday. 
um, in Los Angeles, and that's why he was coming out. And he was solid. I mean, he had that glow in his eyes. I pulled out my giant old people's big book. It's like this big. Um, and I was like, hey, let's have a meeting. He's like, okay. You know, we sat on the plane and had a meeting. Um, Heidi was laughing. She's like, hey, they have travel-sized big books. You know? um, I'm like, no, this is good. Like 15 pounds on my backpack, you know. Because um, I just, it, it's big, and I get it. You know, it's, it's good. I need that. It's meaty. Uh, like my food, it has to be big. <laughs> anyway, so um, I'm so grateful today. I have, oh, that's another thing. My new sponsor told me you can never say no to someone who asks you to sponsor them. And I'm like, oh, like, like, do you have a rope, you know? <laughs> and I was like, well, what do you mean? You know, she's like, well, what if that person goes out and dies? You know, you don't. She said, even if you sponsor them for a day, you got them through a day. And I was like, I can't, the kids, my work, uh, that, you know. So I sponsor six women. Um, is it easy? No. You know, do I call every single one back every day? No. Um, do we work steps? Are they recovering? Yes. Um, do they help me recover? Heck yes. And I had never noticed um, how many times in the big book it talks about working with others. Like, the whole book is working with others, working with others. It's not a me, 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 me program. You know, and as a compulsive overeater, like, me is it. Like, you know, I want to be all about me. Like, give me the love, give me the attention, give me the praise, um, and help me recover. Well, the only way me recovers is by helping you. You know, and if that means I take an hour out and I listen to your fourth step or your fifth step, or yesterday I did a second step with a woman, um then that's what it does, and it's all about helping others. And, and those people in the, who wrote the big book, like, they didn't have years and years and years of recovery. You know, like, they had months or weeks, you know, and, and those people who had weeks and months helped the people who were just recovering, and so the fellowship grew. Um, I think it's an amazing program. I think that God wrote the hands, I mean, held the hands of the people who wrote the big book. Um, I don't think humans could have written that with unaided will. That's just my opinion. Um, the big book helps all of us who are addicts, food, drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever it is you're doing. Um, and it's just a fantastic program. Um, program has changed my life. I have relationships today. I made amends to my aunt um, way early on. I'm coming up on 10 years of, of abstinence in May. Um, a day at a time, and I made amends to her, I don't know, early on, and I said, you know, I'm sorry for the way I've treated you, and, and I haven't been a good niece, and, and, I, and I listed everything, everything that I've done, and of course I expected her to, like, give me a big hug and tell her she loved me and that it's okay, and she basically said, I don't expect anything more from you. She said, this, this amends really doesn't mean anything, and I was like, oh, you know, and I came home and I called my sponsor, and I said, do you know what she said when I tried to make an amends? She said, what? I said, she said that she doesn't expect anything more from me. And she said, well, in all the years that you've had a relationship with her, have you given her any reason to expect anything more from you? And I said, no. She goes, well, now you get to do it a day at a time, you know. Um, that particular aunt is actually one of my best friends today, you know. Um, we talk daily. I have relationships where there's always an I love you before I hang up the phone. Um, my, one of my uncles is going back to Iran to collect on my grandfather's estate and has made me the trust door, and, which is a lot of stress. 
Um, but they wouldn't have done that when I was eating because I was like Jekyll and Hyde. They never knew who they were getting. Were they getting binging Atusa? Were they getting starving Atusa? Were they getting 50 pounds up Atusa or 40 pounds down Atusa? Because all those Atusas look different, you know. And for the most part today, I'm pretty even keel, pretty even keel. Um, I'm, I'm extremely grateful. If you're new, keep coming back. Um, if you're struggling, change it up a little. You know, the smallest change can make the biggest difference. And, um, you know, two or three days of good food um, or just two or three good food choices in a day can change things around so quickly. Um, and it's little baby steps, little, little baby steps, and it's imperfect. So I'm going to keep coming back, and thank you for asking me to share. a couple questions, I think. Walter. Thanks for stepping up. Um, talk about how you work step 11. Sure. Step 11. How do I work step 11? Um, incorporating prayer and meditation into my life. Um, getting on my knees in the morning. Um, I, it's, it's fairly long. It's not just a two-second get on, get on my knees type of thing. I ask God to help me with my food, help me to be of service to my fellows, Help me to be a good mother um, and a good wife. Um, I read the for today, and uh, with the for today, I take a couple of minutes and just kind of let that absorb. Um, and I pray throughout the day. Um, I, you know, at one point, I wish I had an altar and incense and all of those things so I could really do like formal prayer. Um, I don't. It's just my my life is just busy, busy, busy. All throughout the day I pray. And I pray, like when that bakery's calling, and bakeries talk, you guys. Like, <laughs> um, but it's like I'm driving, you know, like, please, God, just keep my car over here on Wilshire. Like, I don't need to make a U-turn. Um, so it's just all day. And, and my sponsor said something really sweet. She said it to said, your prayer to God is like a portal. You know, he gets it right away. You know, he gets that prayer right away, and he acts on it right away. And that's been my experience. So that's what I do. Yeah. Hey. 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 Hey.
and everything in moderation. And, and, and today, actually, my scale and my measuring cup are out on the kitchen table um, because the last time I thought I was eating a cup of rice, it was actually two and a quarter. So um, I just needed to kind of see what's going on. Yeah, all things in moderation. Yes? Uh, thank you very much. Um, how do your kids, what's your relationship with your kids with their food? Ooh, ouch. Uh, <laughs> what's my relationship with my kids with the food? Um, we have junk food in the house, for sure. Uh, do we have a ton? No. Um, one of my kids, I think, is, is more normie. You know, they all love the junk, and a lot of times I try to impose my food plan upon them. <laughs> you know, like, guys, three meals and a snack, and they're like, but we're hungry. I'm like, well, one snack, you know. <laughs> so it, it's taken time to kind of, learn that they're kids and I'm not. Um, they watch mommy eat, for the most part. Um, they watch mommy eat pretty healthy meals. Um, I have no control over whether they will become compulsive overeaters, um, if they will restrict, if they don't. Like all, I pray that they don't go down the route of this disease. Um, it's just ugly. And, and, you know, if they do... I'm in a 12-step program, and, um, and they watch me eat, you know, and, and have relationships that, that hopefully inspire them. And actually, the other day, I was um, down the street, and my, my husband said, um, I don't know, someone, he's like, well, how do you know her? Or, no, no, I said, so-and-so's coming over to our house after the meeting. And then my daughter goes, you just broke her anonymity. <laughs> I was like... Oh, shoot, and the other one goes, what's anonymity? You know, so we talk about anonymity. So they hear all of this stuff. You know, they say to me, progress, not perfection. They say, mommy, this too shall pass. You know, um, mom, do you need to call your sponsor? <laughs> um, and so it's a 12-step household. It really is a 12-step household. Yeah. So they, they know you talk about that you have a yeah, I haven't for years. I haven't. I now have almost a 16-year-old. She's, she's starting to pick it up. She's like, oh, A. There's no alcohol in that. Oh, A. Overeaters. Not. Are you an overeater? You know, and so we've, I've talked to with my 16-year-old. With my other two, I, mo- mommy's going to her meeting that helps her be a better mommy meetings. Um, is what I tell them. You know, I go to meetings to help me be a better mommy. Um, but my 16-year-old's picking up on it, so I think that conversation is coming, although I cringe at the thought. But it's honesty. You know, it's honesty. That's it. Thank you.